On this episode of Blue 58, it's going to be a busy weekend for the Packers as they conduct their first head coaching interviews since 2006. What is that process actually like? We go behind the scenes to find out, plus the coaching search powerhouse you may not know much about. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, and I'm very excited to be with you here for this episode. This is entirely unprecedented for this podcast because we are heading into a weekend where the Packers are going to be doing actual interviews with candidates who are currently working in the NFL to try to fill their head coaching vacancy. The last time something like this happened, I was in high school. And chances are, judging by the listener base that I've talked to and interacted with, a good number of you were as well, or even younger. All of us were quite a bit younger, because it's been quite some time. Like I mentioned up top, 2006, the last time the Packers have gone through a search like this. We don't do it all that often in Green Bay, and it's interesting to watch it unfold when it does. And we're going to find out some stuff this weekend about what the Packers are actually going to be doing. Well, we know some of those things in advance, and I'm, I'm excited to see what details come out. I'm excited for those details to come out. I'm not sure what value they're going to have. I think this is going to be a wait-and-see process. Wait until we get firm information like people coming back for a second interview. I would hesitate to read a whole lot into stuff that you'll surely see this weekend, like so-and-so had a good interview, so-and-so eh, maybe not so great, because most likely that's coming from somebody's agent, and that's not the most reliable source. We do know a few things going into this weekend, and we should touch on those before diving into what this interview process is already like. First, we found out today that Pat Fitzgerald of Northwestern University is out. He is not a candidate for NFL coaching jobs. He said so through his agent. He's not going to be pursuing any of those jobs. So the Packers' minor fixation on him, well-intentioned or misguided, though it may be, depending on your perspective, is over, or it should be. I hope it is, and I hope the Packers are ready to move on because they've got actual interviews coming up Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Friday, the day you are most likely listening to this, the Packers will be in New England speaking with offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels of the New England Patriots, as well as linebackers coach and defensive play caller Brian Flores. Saturday, it's off to New Orleans where they talk to Pete Carmichael and tight ends coach Dan Campbell. Then Sunday, they talk to Tennessee Titans offensive coordinator Matt LaFleur. I have not yet seen or heard, and by the time this comes out or gets to your ears, this may have changed, when the Packers are going to be talking with Mike Munchak. Supposedly they've been given permission to speak with him after requesting it earlier this week, but as to when that interview is happening, we have not yet heard. At least I have not. Pete Carmichael of that list is the relatively new name. He's somebody we've mentioned as a potential target in the past. In fact, it was quite a while ago on December 13th that we posted our preview of Pete Carmichael on thepowersweep.com. An interesting background in that he's been in one place for a lot longer than most of these other coaches. One of the first hires on Sean Payton's staff. He's been in New Orleans since 2006 when Sean Payton did not get the Green Bay Packers coaching job that he so greatly desired. It's kind of interesting to think that Carmichael could have been in Green Bay this entire time if uh, Peyton had gotten the job that he wanted. Uh, Did have a couple opportunities to move, but has stayed with the Saints um, over the duration of that coaching career to date. Uh, He actually interviewed for another head coaching job uh, just a few years ago, spoke with the Bears in 2013. They concluded that search by hiring Mark Tressman. 
Carmichael is not hugely popular among the people we've spoken to online or the people who have spoken to us. He's got just a 33% approval rating among fans who have voted in our coaching poll. So we'll ask the question that, uh, that we asked about all the candidates heading into this process. Is he a candidate or is he an interview? Wednesday, that was our, our question for most of the people the Packers have requested so far. A candidate in that estimation was someone who is, has a real shot at this job. An interview is someone they're just bringing in to talk to and feel out a little bit. We use the example of Brian Flores, who the Packers have talked to or are talking to on Friday, depending on when you're listening to this again. Uh, they're talking to him nominally as a head coaching candidate, but I believe that situation is one where the Packers are more interested in, in him as a potential defensive coordinator, and they're gauging his potential interest just to have any role on the Packers staff, potentially under Josh McDaniels. He could be a real head coach candidate, but I think it's more likely that they're just gathering information, and the fact that they're doing McDaniels and Flores on the same day kind of lends a little bit of credence to that. I think Pete Carmichael is a legit contender for this job. He is an actual candidate here. He's a guy with some connections to a well-regarded offensive mind in Sean Payton. He also has the benefit of some experience. He's 47 years old, five years older than Mike McCarthy was when he was hired by the Packers so many years ago now. As to whether or not he'd be actually good at this job, I think there are some potential caveats. And since it was almost a month ago, I'm going to read you what I wrote about Carmichael Um, I rated him a 2 out of 5 to be the next coach of the Green Bay Packers, and I I still feel pretty comfortable with that number. I think it would be a little bit of a surprise if they went this direction, but I do think he's legit. Here's what I wrote. Your estimation of Carmichael probably depends on how much you view his success as being a part of the Saints' overall success or because of the Saints' overall success. That's the rub with hiring any non-head coach from a successful organization. How do you know whether you're getting the sizzle or the steak? The Eagles and the Bears poached Andy Reid's protégés and have had success. The Dolphins took Joe Philbin from the Packers and crashed and burned. Carmichael certainly has the resume of a successful coach. But how do the Packers really know if he's the main source of that success? They really can't, even with an interview. Carmichael could show a lot of things by speaking to the Packers. He could demonstrate his success as a culture builder or his philosophy as a coach. But demonstrating or proving his results would be hard. To me, that alone makes him a difficult candidate to recommend. I think I stand by everything I said there um, with one potential alteration. Because I think if you're going to go after a guy who's been part of success but it's not clear how much of a role he's had in that success. I think I would rather have a guy like Pete Carmichael than a guy like Matt LaFleur. LaFleur has been with some great names. Came up through the ranks in the NFL with Kyle Shanahan, with Sean McVay. But when he's gotten a chance to do it for himself, hasn't gone so well in Tennessee. That's not to say he can't do it. But he's got a pretty short track record at the highest level, being an offensive coordinator. And it really hasn't gone super great. Carmichael, like LeFleur, has been adjacent to a lot of success, but it's hard to say exactly how much of his success he can take credit for. But he's been at such a high level for 
such a long time that I feel a little bit more comfortable with him than I would with a guy like Lafleur. Is that necessarily fair? I don't think so. Probably not. But coaching searches like this are rarely fair. And as we'll point out later on, coaching searches are not always concluded with a hire for the greatest of reasons. There's a lot of things that go into every hire, and not all of them are going to be good. Sometimes it is just a gut feeling of being more comfortable with the guy because he's been in a certain position for longer. I don't think that's a good reason to hire somebody, but it is a reason, and I think it's one of the reasons I'd feel more comfortable with Carmichael than some of these other candidates. It's hard to handicap the the race right now, but uh, I think Carmichael would probably be near the top of the list of the guys that the Packers have had permission to speak with. I would think that Josh McDaniels is probably the de facto front runner right now just because of who Josh McDaniels is. Then probably Carmichael after that. Then maybe a group of Flores and Lafleur after that. And maybe Mike Munchak there too. And then towards the bottom, Munchak and Dan Campbell. I think it'll be interesting to see how the Packers handle things after this weekend. If some teams are eliminated who employ people they'd like to talk to, I wonder if the Packers swoop in and kind of bring in some more candidates for a a second round of interviews here. Or maybe they'll just go with the group that they've got. I think I would lean towards them more sticking with the guys that they've got, but I I think they're going to put feelers out too. So that's kind of having it both ways, but I kind of think they've got the group that they've got right now and are going to run with this. Who knows, though? They did say that they were going to conduct a wide search, a vast search, and we've seen all the hallmarks of that so far. Another question I've had as this whole process has unfolded is what is an NFL head coaching interview like? If you know me, you know this already, but if you don't... um, I have been in the unique position in my life to have a lot of different jobs. And as a result, I've gone through a lot of different interviews. I've interviewed at big companies. I've interviewed at small companies. I've interviewed at high-level educational institutions. I've interviewed at junior high schools. Um, I've been through a lot of different searches. And I've had a lot of different interview experiences. One such experience, the first job I interviewed out of for out of college, uh, the hiring person, who was the owner of the company, relatively small company, asked me what my career goals were, what I wanted to be doing in five years, ten years, stuff like that. Pretty standard interview question. I told him, and he told me those were stupid goals. I shouldn't want to pursue something like that. It may come as a surprise that ja- that job really didn't work out for me in the long term. I did end up taking the job. It was not a great place to be. That probably should have been a little bit of a tip-off. It was not a a great place to work. The NFL is an entirely different animal. Um, It is tempting at times to try to relate the experiences of players and coaches and general managers to ours. You see that criticism a lot of players when they are perceived as not doing their job. Some loud internet commenter will say something like, well, if I tried that at my job, it wouldn't go over so well. Or, you know, if they got a real job, they wouldn't be able to to do that stuff. Well, the thing about the NFL is it's not a a real job. It's his, it's his own, it's its own thing. 
and anybody who pretends like it's not its own thing with its own set of unique rules and weird quirks is being a little bit disingenuous. Michael Lombardi of The Athletic sent out a tweet this week about how um, is something along the lines of so many NFL coaches are being fired. Uh, you, you have to wonder why more GMs aren't stepping up and taking the blame for their failures or something like that. Basically saying that it can't always be the coach's fault that these teams aren't performing, so why are all the coaches getting fired? And that's true, but that's just kind of ignoring how the NFL works. Everybody knows that when you take a job as a head coach, you're taking that job to get fired. Almost everybody gets fired, unless you go out on top winning a Super Bowl or you have a long enough run with the team that you've got the cachet built up that you can retire after a bad season or whatever. As opposed to getting fired, coaches are just going to get fired. That's just what happens. But more to the point, this entire process is just different from the time you're hired to the time you work your job to the time you leave it, no matter how you do. It's just a different animal. So I want to know what that process is like. Fortunately, there are some really good resources out there from a few really reputable reporters on what this process is like. Uh, this should be recommended reading for each of you out there listening to this, and you can track these down. I'll give you the titles and the names of the people who wrote them. Uh, but I, I looked at the article, Behind Closed Doors, Interviewing to Become a Head Coach by Jenny Ventress of Sports Illustrated. What Happens at an NFL Job Interview by Stu Wu, S-T-U-W-O-O, of the Wall Street Journal. And How to Hire an NFL Coach or GM, A View from the Inside by Connor Orr, uh, writing for NFL.com. So we're going to look at a few aspects of the interview process here and uh, kind of explain, based on these insights from people who have been in the process and reporters who have researched it thoroughly, what sort of things go on during these interviews. Is it just questions? What questions do they ask? Where do these things happen? What other considerations may there be uh, in this process? So let's dive right in. First and foremost, is it just one of those like standard interviews? Do they sit down and ask you just a lot of questions? No, you can expect a lot of poking and prodding into your personal life beyond just the standard questions. Jenny Ventress says, Quote, there's more to it than just one meeting, phone calls, checking references around the league and the candidate's on-field resume. Continuing on later, she says, another integral part of the interview is assessing the prospective head coach's ability to lead a roster of 53 men. And, she concludes, to take out some of the guesswork, at least two teams within the past two years have used the input of psychologists during their coaching search. One team asked candidates to submit to a three-hour evaluation by a psychologist to assess strengths and weaknesses as a leader, not mandatory, but all the candidates agreed to it, end quote. I think that last one there is interesting in particular because that's what you see from a lot of head coaches down the road with their players. They ask them to do things that are not mandatory, but everybody ends up doing it. I wonder how mandatory or how voluntary these coaching psychological screenings really are. You're also going to meet some new people during this process. And I'll quote at length here from Stu Wu's article. He went in-depth with the New York Jets, writing for the Wall Street Journal, of course, as to how they connect, conduct their coaching search. Here's what he found. Quote, first, the number of people at the interview varies by team. 
Dennis Green said that when he interviewed with the Raiders in 1988, he met only with owner Al Davis. But former NFL executive Bill Polian said that when he was with the Bills, when he was the Bills general manager, he interviewed head coaching candidates alongside team owner Ralph Wilson, as well as Wilson's administrative and business lieutenants. When candidates interview with the Jets, four people are president. Present. Team owner Woody Johnson and two consultants, former NFL general managers Carly Casserly and Ron Wolf, lead the conversation. Team president Neil Glatt is also there for any non-football matters, end quote. And you can tell uh, this article is dated a little bit because most of those people aren't with the Jets anymore, but that's how they did it at the time. Point being, this is going to vary a lot by team. And with the Packers, you can bet it'll be Murphy and Gutekunst for sure. I would suspect though I haven't seen anything confirming this, and it may not actually happen, that Russ Ball gets involved in this situation at some point. I doubt he's part of the the initial interviews, but if there's more in-depth stuff, he may get involved down the road. He he has a role somewhere in this process. It, it has to be there. He doesn't get that far up the, the coaching or the organizational tree without having some kind of a role. So he may not be in the actual interview but I bet Russ Ball is somewhere on the periphery of this this discussion. But of course, there's going to be questions with this interview. So what questions do they ask? Uh, Jenny Ventress says a few uh, are pretty common. Uh, why do you think you should be the head coach of the insert team name here? Do we have a chance to win in blank city? What is your vision for turning the team around and how you, will you put that vision into motion? How are you going to win a game? A key consideration from a personnel perspective, what pieces do you need? According to GM Charlie Casserly, this is quoting from her article, he recalls Joe Gibbs telling Washington, I can get 1,000-yard receivers, but what I need to have is a bell cow running back and an offensive line. Andy Reid told Philadelphia, I want two offensive tackles, a quarterback, two pass rushers, two corners, and I'll figure the rest out. End quote. Big ask, I think, there from Andy Reid. I think most NFL teams would like to have two offensive tackles, a quarterback, two pass rushers, two corners. Yeah, I think he would probably be able to figure the rest out from there. That's that's most of the, the significant infrastructure for your team. If you've got two good pass rushers and two good corners, hmm, you got a stew going, don't you? That's pretty good defense right there already. The Packers would kill for two good pass rushers and two corners that could stay healthy all year. Ventress also offers this other list of questions with, with no context. These are ones that people who had been either on one side or the other of the process reported seeing or hearing. What will your first meeting with your players be like? How will you relate to millennials and keep your approach fresh? Do you believe co coaches or scouts should have final say on personnel evaluations? What is your discipline policy when players get in off-the-field trouble? If a star player doesn't show up to off-season workouts, how will that affect the team and how will you respond? And what is a time when you faced adversity as a coach and how do you respond? How did you respond? A lot of good questions there. Where do these things go down? This is another thing that varies a lot by team, and I will quote from Ms. Ventress again. Quote, the room can be anywhere, a team's headquarters, Dolphins owner Stephen Ross's New York business office, a New York hotel while 49ers brass was in town for league meetings, or a conference room at Paul Brown Stadium the day after Hugh Jackson's Bengals lost in the wildcard round. Teams book first-class plane tickets for candidates who are traveling to meet them, send a limo to meet them at the airport, and put them up at five-star hotels. Interviews are often scheduled in three-hour blocks, but they almost always last longer. 
four or five, maybe six hours if everyone is hitting it off. Pro tip, eat beforehand because no one is breaking for lunch, end quote. Not a lot to add there, but uh, I just thought that was interesting. Finally, there are some important other considerations in these interviews, and one of these came up a lot in a lot of these sources, and I thought it was interesting. It was something that I hadn't considered before. Jenny Ventress says, quote, the longest block of time in most interviews is spent going over the candidate's prospective staff. Coaching positions are in flux at this time of year, and you're not always able to get the assistant you want, so candidates have to present a depth chart three or four deep of their top choices at every position, from the coordinators to the position coaches, and be prepared to defend your choices if the team doesn't like them. One owner, for example, vetoed a candidate's third choice for a coordinator during the first interview, end quote. That's pretty incredible that you get that nitty-gritty down to your third choice for an offensive coordinator during your first conversation with the team in person. But this really is that important. And I think it's one reason that a guy like Pat Fitzgerald would would, would have potentially struggled to make the, the leap to the NFL. That came up in our discussions before when we've talked about Fitzgerald. But it, it would have been a, a big deal for him to make hires at this point in the year. He doesn't have a lot of established NFL connections. He's never worked for an NFL team, and he wouldn't really be able to bring along all of his staff from Northwestern. Getting that staff in place in Green Bay would have been hard. Connor Orr helps expand on this a little bit with an interesting quote from Charlie Casserly. He says, Quote, the consensus reason potential head coaches are not hired is the staff. I always tell candidates your staff is going to get you fired. As a general manager doing the interview, you don't only have to know who your candidates are. You have to know every single assistant in the league, end quote. Now, I think it's interesting to look at Mike McCarthy's tenure in Green Bay in hindsight with this in consideration because he clearly took this to heart. He churned through a lot of staff. He was maybe overly loyal in some positions, like defensive coordinator, but he churned through a lot of other staff while he was in Green Bay. Finally, there was nobody else to churn through, and he ended up getting fired. But part of his survivorship in the NFL was getting those potentially um, problematic staff out of the way. Finally, I thought it was interesting to note that at least two of these articles recommended and reported that candidates tend to kind of leave a little bit of paperwork behind. Uh, Jenny Ventress called it a leave-behind packet, quote, a magazine-length pamphlet that lays out their career path, their coaching influences, a resume detailing stats and players they've worked with and their plan for the team, including nitty-gritty details like practice schedules and team itineraries. For road trips, end quote. What I wouldn't get to give my get what I wouldn't give to get my hands on one of those. Uh, Stu Wu describes it more as a self-published book, quote, sometimes printed or edited by their agents, end quote. Uh, still others offer up a PowerPoint presentation. Would love to see some of this stuff going on behind the scenes. So in summary, you're gonna get poked and prodded from a personal life perspective, a lot of calls around to your background, a lot of talking to people you know in the league, maybe an interview with a team psychologist. Uh, you're probably going to meet with all of the team's big brass, the biggest and best minds that they have in the organization, and maybe a couple consultants uh, in Green Bay. That'll be Mark Murphy and Brian Gutekunst for sure. You're going to face a lot of questions about your philosophy, building culture, things like that, what you need from the team, 
You'll probably be in a pretty fancy room or something like that. It'll be interesting to think about what the Packers do because they're traveling to a lot of these interviews. You're going to talk a lot about the staff that you want to put around you, and you may get some pushback on that as well because it's one of the most important considerations. And you're going to want to leave behind some material so the team has something to look at when they're going through their decision and lining up second interviews or maybe getting ready to offer you a job. A lot to consider and a lot to do if you're a potential NFL head coach. But while I've got you here, listener, there's another thing I want to point out. Perhaps one of the most influential parts of the coaching search process that you may not have heard a lot about. You may have heard us mention the name Corn Ferry before. It's a leadership search firm that the Packers have used in the past to hire some of their front office people, uh, particularly one of their lead guys, Jed Hughes, the lead guy of Corn of Ferry, K-O-R-N-F-E-R-R-Y. But it's interesting to note that a bunch of people throughout the league are using them now or have used them in the past. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have just hired them to help out with their head coaching search. The Browns have used them extensively in the past. They used uh, this firm to hire Hugh Jackson, as have the Jets. According to Adam Schefter, Corn Ferry is responsible for coaching hires like Andy Reid ending up with the Chiefs, Pete Carroll going to the Seahawks, and Doug Marone going to the Jaguars. According to Connor Orr's article that we referenced earlier, every year about November, Corn Ferry starts reaching out to NFL teams to provide their services. Um, And they do that by providing an introductory manual that you can read if you just Google this title. Title is The First Year Challenge, A Game Plan for New General Managers and New Coaches. Very interesting to page through. You can read it. It's about 18 pages long on the Corn Ferry website. It's made up of insights from a bunch of people throughout professional sports. From football, you'll recognize some of these names. Jim Harbaugh from University of Michigan currently. Hugh Jackson, of course. Uh, Dan Quinn, the current head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. Andy Reid of the Chiefs. And uh, from Major League Baseball, a couple names, but one in particular Packers fans might recognize. David Stearns, the general manager of the Milwaukee Brewers. Basically, this is a guidebook for how to conduct a regime regime change if you are a professional sports team. It concludes with a paragraph that I think pretty fairly summarizes why it's important to get this job done right. Quote, the first-year leader, whether in a corporation, political office, or locker room, faces daunting challenges. There are minefields everywhere, ready to blow up the best laid plans and sabotage even the best intentioned efforts. Unless prepared with a well-thought-out vision and strategy, new leaders will not succeed. Few other professions operate under such a glaring spotlight as new general managers and coaches do, and the line between success and failure is often a key base hit, an overtime goal, a freak injury, to a star player or a miracle catch on the goal line. Franchises with sagging fortunes want results quickly, and in this era of social media, fantasy sports, and billions of dollars in revenues at stake, expectations grow higher each year. End quote. So why bring this up? I think it's important to know the forces that shape NFL franchises and sports franchises in generals. In general, Ron Wolf always talked about having a list of people you might like to hire in the back of your mind at all times, but not everybody operates that day, that way. And even people who do may appreciate an additional perspective. There are organizations like Corn Ferry that are working to shape the decisions that franchises make throughout all of professional sports. 
Sometimes they help them make good decisions. Other times they help them to make bad decisions. This time the Packers are not going to be using a search firm. They're going to do it alone. That may be the right decision, but we won't know right now, and we won't know for some time. But we do know the key players. It's going to be Mark Murphy, and it's going to be Brian Gutekunst. And they're not from a legal team from a corporate headhunting firm, and that is for better or for worse. Elsewhere throughout the league, decisions are going to come down, perhaps to recommendations from a place like Corn Ferry, maybe somebody else. But it's important to know There are many factors that are going into this decision, and some of the factors throughout the league could come down to a PDF that you can read for yourself on the internet right now. That's all I've got for you on this particular episode. Enjoy this exciting weekend for the Packers. We're not going to have a podcast on Monday, kind of shifting to a more off-season schedule. Something wild happens over the weekend, maybe we'll we'll chime in a little bit, but uh, we'll be back on Wednesday of next week bringing you up to speed on the latest of the coaching search. You can find us in the meantime at thepowersweep.com and on Facebook and on Twitter. If you'd like to reach out via email, you may do so by typing thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com into the address line of the email program of your choice. Support us on Patreon via patreon.com slash thepowersweep. One dollar per month helps us offset all the costs that come with producing a show such as this. If you'd like to literally wear your support on your sleeve, Check out our shop on Teespring by clicking the shop link at thepowersweep.com. And the freest and easiest way to support us is by leaving a five-star review on iTunes. That helps more people find the show. We do love to hear from you. Any feedback you give us helps us make this entire operation better and helps us all become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.